Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory revealed at Flip Expo. Special bonus podcast interview with Jack Guaneri. Hello and welcome to this special bonus podcast from the Flip Expo show in Le Trepot in France. I'm Martin Ayer from Pinball News. And, and I'm Jonathan Houston from Pinball Magazine. And we've taken this opportunity, as we did last year, to have a special interview with Jack Guaneri of uh, Jersey Jack Pinball. Although there's a special reason for doing it this year, rather than just out of uh, interest in the way the company is going, because... This is the show where they are launching the um, their newest game to the European market. Right. And that game is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, which was shown to everybody today at around about midday. Right. And uh, interestingly, uh, as many of you might be aware, uh, the game was also revealed last night at Midwest Gaming Classic. So that was just a couple of hours before the European reveal. But it's a... F- uh, uh, well, we were talking to Jack, and um, he's been in the amusement, uh, the coin-op amusement industry for 44 years, and he can't remember any pinball machine ever being... Uh, debuting or revealing um, in France, which is very odd since France is a very big territory for pinball uh, traditionally. Yeah, and had, a, had a long history with, with Gottlieb. Right. So, um, so well, there's a first for everything, and this game basically has a, a dual continent release um, yeah. uh, or, or reveal, as you might call it. Uh, being in the States and Europe as well. And the game is uh, uh, set up here in the booth of uh, Christophe Linard, the uh, importer for uh, Luxembourg, and uh, along with a um, uh, Yellow Brick Road edition of The Wizard of Oz, Dialed In, Pirates of the Caribbean, and a Hobbit game. So the entire... All five titles. All five titles are are present here, and... um, once the game was uh, rolled into the room uh, around noon, uh, after Jack gave it a uh, software update, um, basically uh, there's been a line of people waiting to play it. Yes, and it was streamed live as well on the internet. Um, and um, I think, well, I was one of the, the fortunate first four to get to play it. And personally, I'm, I'm very impressed both with the presentation and the way that it shoots. We do talk about that more in the uh, in the in the interview with Jack, so I won't go into it too much here. But Jack, uh, Jonathan, you've also played it. What, what were your impressions? Um, well, at that time, I wasn't really playing the best games that I uh, probably could. Um, I did notice that uh, uh, this game could use a little stronger flippers. I think they turned them down on purpose. They do tend to do that at shows, particularly when they launch it. I know could that. Also, it could also be that there is just not enough electrical power for all these games, and that all games have weaker uh, flippers. But uh, either way, um, the flippers could be a little snappier, but other than that, I think it's a great flowing game. Uh, very colorful, and in terms of theme integration, I think they really knocked it out of the park. Uh, on this one so uh, congratulations to Pat Lawler and his team yes absolutely um, so we won't spend any more time introducing the interview because uh, Jack certainly has plenty to tell you about the game and the processes that went into making it and the licensing as well so let's not waste any more time let's go straight over to Jack who's going to talk to us about the uh, the unveiling of his brand new game Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory so, welcome, Mr. Jack Guarneri. 
Thank should you. I, should I say Willy Wonka? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yes, so you're, you're here at the, uh, the Flip Expo show, along with us, uh, for the European unveiling of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, pretty, it's pretty cool. You know, I was uh, reminded that um, apparently, I guess, nobody has ever launched a brand new pinball machine in, in France before, which is kind of strange. Especially uh, considering how big of a market French exactly is. Exactly right, exactly. Uh, a couple of people reminded me of that this morning, so it was pretty cool to be here and have Willy Wonka. Well, right. the time was, was serendip- serendipitous, I should say, before we've, uh, we've had too much of this uh, lovely champagne that we've been provided by, <laughs> so, by the organisers of this, this show. So, if this at any point you start thinking like this is getting a really weird becoming a really weird interview we'll blame it on the champagne okay you know we'll see right so let's Should go back to the uh, the very start then and uh, how did you get the Willy Wonka license and and when was that oh um I probably started working on that in 2011 really uh, which you just, time, when you just founded the company. Yeah, around the time I had uh, Wizard of Oz, I actually asked my rep, um, I, Warner Brothers, uh, kind of jokingly, everybody asked them, what's like what's like the Wizard of Oz? And they don't have a license like Wizard of Oz. And the nearest thing that we could think of was Willy Wonka. And there was a problem. They didn't have the rights to most of the actors because when they did the movie in 1971, they really didn't secure rights thinking about what they were licensing for the future. Um, so it took them a few years. It wasn't until probably 2014 or 15, 16, when I got back to them and um, it was going to be something that could possibly happen. Right, so, so what was it about Willy Wonka that appealed to you? Um, is it everything that Wizard of Oz also gave as in terms well, of well you, know, you have little people you have Oompa Loompas and mm, Munchkins yeah, exactly. uh, you have that but you really have um, you still have a good and evil kind of thing going on um, and Willy Wonka for me um, it was always being honest honesty and, and being a good person kind of won uh, the reward at the end where uh, Charlie get to live happily ever after uh, well, that's what you, that's what everybody is believing. Can you imagine? Like this, this is a what? How old is Charlie? Eight years old. Right. Inheriting a factory—that's like a nightmare. Right. But well, if it's a pinball factory, it might be. But a chocolate but factory. Imagine having a chocolate factory, having cool to worry, having to worry about all the delivery. Not to worry about all the Oompa Loompas take care. Yeah, of you everything. think they need a? Don't they need a manager? It didn't seem like Willy Wonka was much of a manager. He was having a good time, Willy Wonka. You know, and but what did he ask maybe Charlie? He, he probably learned how to source out well, stuff, but yeah. Charlie had no clue. Well, at the end of the movie, he asked Charlie, you know what happened to the man who, who uh, wished he had everything? Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, why? And he said, he lived happily ever after. Yeah. So it's always a nice story. You know, the uh, song in the movie, Pure Imagination, for me, is really like Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It's it's in many ways the same song, mm-hmm. uh, the same the same thought, the same dreams and hopes. And Charlie was just um, a good kid that at the very end was very pure, and he didn't want to sell out to Slugworth, even though uh, Grandpa Joe kind of 
was a little mad at Willy Wonka in that last one of those last scenes there when he got yelled at. You get nothing, good day, all of that kind of stuff. You lifted fizzing, lifting drinks, and all all of that. And Charlie said, you know, and I don't really need this guy as everlasting gobstopper. I'll just give it back to him. I'm not going to do anything. And that's what one. That's what what right. Wonka was looking for: a pure heart and somebody who was honest, right. somebody that wouldn't think like an adult, um, with a lot of different thoughts of doing um, not so good things. So, um, well, let, let me pose a question then, because you you got the license, or you got access to the license, um, and you got Pat Lawler who designed the game. Uh, what? How were those two brought together? Did you ask Pat to design a Willy Wonka game, or did Pat say, "I want to design a game," and here, and what have you got available? And he immediately picked Willy Wonka, or you know, what? What was the process of teaming those two together? Everybody knows Pat said that he likes to do primary colors and he likes to do cute things and uh, he likes to build toys. So uh, what better theme for Pat to work on than Willy Wonka? Right. So, um, but did he pick it, or did you did you well, ask him to design it? We we asked him and then he picked it. Right. So, so really, that's how it goes. I mean, you really it's been said before. You really need to have people that have a passion. For the license, if you shove down yeah. something, something down somebody's throat, like anything in life, you're not going to get a good result. They have to want to do it and have a passion for it and get behind it, and you have to have the whole team be that way and um, dedicate part of their life, you know, uh, more than a year to just, uh, uh, you know, designing and engineering a game. Right. So, now, I might be privy to some information that not everybody is privy to, but um, as far as I understood it, Pat initially was working on a different game, which got delayed because of a licensor basically delaying the whole process. And then he had to start working on this game, which I believe he did in less than a year. It was... uh it was a pretty quick development cycle. I don't know exactly if it was less than a year or a little bit more than a year, but um, it was a pretty aggressive schedule that the team kept to. Right. Uh, we knew we wanted to show that game in the springtime of this year. Right. And um, obviously Pat is not working alone, but if I may say so, I think um, I was able to have a look under the playfield. Um, since award shows is apparently now a thing in pinball as well, <laughs> I think there really should be an award for mechanical engineering. Yeah. Because uh, I looked under the playfield and that, that uh, rotating mechanism yeah, that yeah. opens up yeah. where the ball falls into. Right. Um, that was sort of impressive. I was impressed by that. Let's put it like that. I'm glad you like that. You know. Uh, Normally beauty skin deep, but our beauty, uh, what we do, goes beyond the play field. It goes under the play field, into the back box. Pretty much in everything we do, we try to really um, engineer things to last and to work and to be serviceable. So I'm, I'm glad that you picked on that up on that and you appreciate that. Right. So, and uh, what many people not may realize, if you look at the, the, the pictures of the play field, there's actually a three ramp game, All right, right. because there's a third ramp 
a center ramp, which is sort of hidden by the uh, the white camera. Right. For the Wonka, uh, Wonka vision. Right. But that makes me made it even more impressive to me. Yeah. How much shots are crammed into this game? Oh yeah, and and you know, for me playing it. Um, the upper right with the upper right flipper is kind of like another whole upper play field, even though it's on the same level. Because if I don't make the shot that I want, that ball might come back and I get another chance and another chance to make that. And it's kind of reminiscent of uh, a contained upper play field for me, anyway, the way I play. And I think it was pretty cool. Other people have noticed that too. So uh, there's a lot of game there. I mean, we pack a lot of stuff in the game. We're really proud right now that the LE game um, has has all the things it has. The CE game has all the things it has, and the SE game is seventy five hundred dollars. Right. So we reduced that price by a thousand dollars. We really want to get more games on location and uh, ch try to make that happen. Right. So this is the first time that all three models basically have uh, different, uh, not only different art packages, but also different play fields where on the standard, uh, less um, features are featured on the play field, so to speak. Right. Well, we're, we're trying that model, and we want to um, be able to offer some more choices to the customers what, what they're asking for, and that's a response to that. And certainly having the game be $1,000 uh, uh, less in price, it should open it up to a lot of other people that... Uh, price is a barrier, and then when they see how much it earns on location, they buy a lot more of all games. Right. So, um, you normally are located, based in, in uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, uh, if you're not traveling the rest of the world for pinball shows and that <laughs> stuff. Um, the design team is mostly based in uh, Bensonville, right. in uh, Illinois. Uh, obviously, we have Jean-Paul Le Guin here in the Netherlands, right. or what's well, not here in the Netherlands, but in the well, Netherlands. Well, you always feel like you're in the Netherlands, even though you're in France right now. Right, yeah, well... You're closer to, to, to the Netherlands than you would be. Yeah, true. Um, so, that makes me wonder, uh, obviously, the design team is going to develop the game, but um, how involved were you, or kept up to date on the progress of how the game was being developed? I was involved, and I was involved uh, in a number of decisions. Um, the team really needs to be led by the designer, and the designer is Pat. And Pat um, is, a, is a great leader and a, and a good manager, and he uh, had a vision, and the team had the vision with him, and they all collaborated to make the game. With this license, I was very involved with uh, the submission and the approval process. Warner Brothers, it's not a secret, Warner Brothers was merged with uh, AT&T recently. Some people in the company changed, some people left, some people came in, people's jobs were uh, um, realigned, and so like any company that happens, uh, it's great that I have different relationships all over the company so that when we needed something, that needed a little extra push, uh, I could get in touch with somebody and make it happen. So the submissions, uh, you know, I get to see them and get to comment on them and push them along and uh, be, in that, be in that process. And it, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, um, things have to happen when you need them to happen. You can't just 
I mean, a company like Warner Brothers probably has more than a thousand submissions from other licensees going on with all kinds of other titles. And we always look at it, uh, you know, we're, you know, we want what we want, we need what we need. So uh, we have a great partner in Warner Brothers with our products. They love our games, and uh, this is the third license we've done with them. It's nice to be part of their family, their extended family, and uh, we have great relationships with them. And when you're dealing with a, a license like a movie that's uh, that old, very much in the way with The Wizard of Oz, you're not in a position where you can get new assets from that movie. You can't get new video clips, right. you can't get right. product, you can't get any of the actors right. directly to do voice calls. So how much material did you get compared to uh, a movie like The Hobbit, where obviously the three movies were there, there's a lot of clips, there's a lot of speech, there's a lot of music as well, which you, which you might be able to tap into. Um, but when dealing with, with Wonka, um, what you've got is what you've got. Well, we, we got more than we could probably use, really. Yeah. I mean, we, we have speech from the movie, sound from the movie, scenes from the movie, and that's what I always dream about. Um, our games are very asset-rich, uh, not just in sound and music that we licensed. I licensed four songs for the movie. Um, and, and I think we have a package that is really amazing. Um, the game inside is probably coded, you know, Joe Katz might say a better number than me because he's the guy doing it. I would, I would say it's about 60%. It's going to ship 1.0. It's going to ship complete when we ship it. And um, things all come together, you know, as you see things develop. And it's pretty far along right now. Uh, you can really tell how it's, how it's going to come out. And uh, we're really proud of it. We're really happy with it. And you... Do you have uh, voice actors in there as well doing you know, pinball-related call-outs? Call like, you know, yeah, we have, we have football. like a narrator do. uh, that does uh, pinball speech, mm -hmm. as it were. And then there's a lot of speech from the movie that lends itself, which is very, uh, I don't want to say sarcastic, but it's, it, it's Willy Wonka-esque. It's those things he said, um, uh, you know, the good day, sir, and the about come back again and all mm -hmm. those kind of things that lend themselves to pinball, you know, if you lose your ball or you tilt the game, things like that, which are very cool. Um, I, I always like, I'm more of a, of a player and somebody when I try to teach people how to play pinball, I'm extremely vague. I always say to people, well, just shoot the flashing lights. I don't want to show them everything and teach them everything. I don't want to go play the game with my fingers to go show them all the features and all the rules. I love people discovering it and watch their face and see the animation, see the use of the uh, camera in the game and hear the different speech calls and that's why you know uh, I had Frank Bona play the game first here and you Martin because I wanted really good pinball players to play the game on the feed earlier so that they could get into the game and not even knowing the game. You know I, I look back at Frank and two or three minutes later he was still playing the game because intuitively as a pinball player we want the game to be easy to understand. We don't want to have a gigantic rule book how to, how to play the game. We want it to be approachable uh, for the casual player and yet something that you really can't master. So easy to understand and hard to master. There are quite a lot of uh, innovative features in that game, uh, you know, things that we, we've never seen in, in pinball before, you know, from 
and in particular the, the sheer number of magnets used throughout. <laughs> Seven magnets, I believe, in, in yeah. that game. Yeah. Um, using a different way with LEDs on top. And right. Do you want to talk us, about, talk us through some of the things which are, which are new in this game? Well, I think, um, you know, just the, just the simple thing of having four flippers on the game, where they are, mm. and where Pat and the team have them, and all the shots, all the different, um, how, how you can stack a lot of different things. Um, it's been done before, but the Wonka Vader having the balls that, uh, you know, uh, are on the Wonka Vader, uh, you know, so that they can be used in multi-ball. The camera and how you're in, inserted in Wonka Vision with the effect of that. Um, I think in a lot of ways, the, the game, you said it, I think you said it best. It looked like a candy store when you first looked at it, right? With in all the colors way. and all the lights and... <laughs> Look like a little bit of a candy store, a little bit of a amusement park kind of thing. It's mm. it's what you would quote unquote expect uh, Willy Wonka to look like. Um, it's it's a beautiful game, and I think not only for uh, home customers, which we treasure, but on location, that game that game should print money. I mean, the operator in me says, "Give me give me your money and take my money." This is uh, this is a great this is a great game, theme wise and play wise. Um, and as, as a player, one of the players who played it for the first time, it, it certainly seemed that you could very easily get into the um, gobs, got everlasting gobstopper multi-ball feature. Um, that's, that's something which I don't think we've seen before, is that rotating disc right. on there as well. Right. Um, I, th- I think it's... Um, it's amazing how many shots are actually packed into that game. <laughs> I mean, you said it's, it's like there's an upper play field, but I think it's unique in, in the way that Pat designed his games is, is the fact that although he's packed in a lot of shots, other games are packed in a lot of shots, but this, they all seem to flow very nicely on right. this one. There's, none of them seem like they're forced in there and, and unnatural shots to be making. I think all of us that play pinball, and, um, we don't want to just hit rubber posts. Mm. You know, we want the ball to go somewhere, I want it to hit something, I want it to score, and I want it to reward me with something. And um, you don't want a brick fest, and you don't want something where you're playing in ramps to reject shots and things like that, or you have to put in really strong flippers to accommodate for poor geometry. So when you play one of Pat's games, you, you have a feeling that you're back home again that you played something that you really know. It's like laying on the couch that you always you took a nap on, let's say. It's just like that old pair of jeans that you put on that really feels comfortable. I mean, playing one of his games gives, uh, gives all the players that feeling. It just feels very familiar, but yet fresh at the same time. Now, I seem to remember way back when we first um, started talking to you about probably The Wizard of Oz, you said at the time that you don't want to be that company that, that takes things out of the game in order to produce other versions, and yet that's apparently what you're doing with this one as well. Well, I've also said never say never. You know, um, the team had the idea to take out that mechanism. Uh, I could tell you it wasn't... Um, it was not received well by me in the mm-hmm. very beginning until I actually had to think about it a little bit and understand it a little bit more. And the, the benefit is also being able to sell the game at a more competitive price. I mean, that feature is, uh, is still simulated in the game. It's still, 
um, it's, it still recognizes that you would have locked balls up in the Wonka Vader. Right, so, so it's kind of virtual. Right, well. right, right. So um, we lose uh, with a lot of different products. Sometimes the manufacturer loses sight of the fact that a certain amount of money this way or that way makes a difference of selling the product to that market or not. And I think part of what we want to do, I know what, what, what we want to do is that we want to be more competitive in the marketplace, especially for operators. And being an operator, you know, I've always said, selling equipment, it doesn't matter what the game costs, it matters what the game makes. But to get the game in the door, if it's $7,500 or $8,500, this game, you're not going to get a competing product in the marketplace for $7,500 that's going to compete with this game. This game will blow away anything in that price range. Anything anybody else builds, it'll, it'll blow it away. I'll guarantee that on location it'll make more money, it'll be more reliable, it'll have a better resale value years from now than anything I see in the market, and that's me talking as an operator. Um, we, we need to look at the marketplace, and the marketplace changes. And a few years ago, Wizard of Oz and all the other games were aimed straight at the home. And, you know, it's true that today there are a lot of barcades and uh, um, places that are commercial where these guys are putting CE games in a location. You know, uh, a place like Sunshine Laundromat and, and Barcade, literal Barcade, the real Barcade and places like that. They're putting in the highest end games like uh, Ants down in, in Louisville at, at uh, Zanzibar. Those kind of places, they go for the CE games. They want the highest end. They have, you know, Adam's Family Golds and uh, every every kind of high-end game. But that's not the case with Joe Operator. Joe Operator just wants, you know, a game that he could afford to put in there and, and be what it used to be years ago, just a piece of equipment to make money for the location and for him. And do you think that a limited edition run of 5,000... <laughs> Is, is a limited edition run, <laughs> or is that just a, a name of the of the, of the middle um, machine in the range? Yeah, you know, limited edition. I joked uh, at pinballsales.com. The only thing that limited was unlimited was aggravation. I guess everything is limited at some point, whether it's two thousand, mm. three thousand, five thousand. Um, I, I think we need to give our, our uh, buyers some expectations of what what it is. Uh, I said this years ago, Adam's Family, you had 22,000 games built. You're hard-pressed to find a good Adam's Family that you could buy right now for your home. Um, wow, thank you. Look at this. We've got some preps to live with us. Oh, my goodness. Thank you very much. Thank you. Catering wow. is uh, top-notch here at the well, Expo. It is. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I'm going to guess there's Nutella in there. Yes. Unless I, wouldn't, I would be disappointed if it wasn't. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, th I think part of that is uh, with a game like Adam's Family, where you had 22,000, you would say, gee, that game's all over the place. But you can't find one anywhere right now in any decent shape to buy. So they all found their places. Some got destroyed, maybe not many. Some found the final resting place. So even if we were lucky and fortunate enough to build 5,000 LE um, Willy Wonka games, it's not that much for the, for the whole world, really. It's not. It's not. No. no, it's not. Right. Uh, obviously, that depends on um, uh, how the game is received and marketed to both operators and 
collectors as well. Obviously, the collectors are probably very aware that this game was coming, or at least they had a... Probably the worst kept secret that there could be. No, there's another company that has a trademark on keeping worst kept secrets. Okay. But... Um, <laughs> The expectation that this was the game that people um, uh, that, that was going to be revealed. Okay, so that was no secret, even though you until the last minute. I was even calling it JJP Five exactly. So in front of you, who signed an NDA, and I was still calling it JJP Number Five. Right. So I didn't break. Neither did I. So that's a good thing. Congratulations. And um, um, uh, so. In terms of marketing, do you have any special strategies in order to um, basically tell operators like we got a new game and this is going to be a moneymaker for you because that's basically what games are right. supposed to be. You know, the cool thing is that I kind of have two different lives, maybe more than two, but let's talk about the pinball industry uh, and the amusement business. So, you know, you see me at commercial trade shows. And um, I enjoy all those relationships with the commercial trade shows that are not, you know, a pinball show per se as we're at today. Where I, where I got my uh, nickname Jersey Jack from certainly is Replay Magazine, right. who I write for. I don't shamelessly plug uh, our product in every issue, but we do advertise in there. And they have an operator poll. Now, the operator poll, unfortunately... Um, it works based on how many of the games are out in the wild. A lot of our games are not out in the wild, and we don't really pull very well in that in that magazine. But the games we do have earn very well. So our best our best network of the people that operate our games and have them communicate with other operators and potential operators and spread the word. I mean, I got a call from a major amusement chain that's a public company interested in buying you know double digit Willy Wonka games they want to try four or five and if they work which we know we do and they make money which we know they do they're going to make a commitment for a lot more companies like that to do those kind of things once other companies see those kind of companies do that they jump in the pool too and that's what we really have to do you have to break through um, some of the bigger chains and you have to you know every game that you sell matters especially commercially because that's where most of the home customers get to see the games to buy them in the home they go out in commercial locations to see them not all of them are in pinball clubs or in tournaments or um, you know leagues that they play in every week at your house or Martin's house somewhere and they get to play a game and they decide to buy it so it is important for us to get games out on location and uh, never a bad time to buy a good game. You know, I was saying the other day we were talking about the landscape of pinball and people asking me so many companies making pinball machines, there's all these games, you know, is the market going to crash? And typical Jack fashion, I said, there's a lot of games. There's just not a lot of good games. Okay? And that's what we built. We built great games. We, we built games that people don't want to sell. They, and when they do, they have a really high resale value. And uh, we, don't, we don't need to get our customers to sign uh, an agreement saying they won't sell it for 18 months or anything. I can tell you 
They love their games. They don't want to sell it for 1,800 years. They'll keep them forever. Now, each time we uh, interviewed you in the past, uh, we always, always come up with the same basic point, which is that with each new model that comes out, you always want to get closer and closer to being in the position where you can show it and then be able to sell it straight away. Now, you're getting closer... Uh, and with, I think with the Yellow Brick Road edition of Wizard of Oz, you were, you were almost at that point. Um, where are you in relation to that with, uh, with Willy Wonka? Is, uh, when's it going to be available for people to actually buy? Um, you know, Yellow Brick Road, we probably shipped about 50 of them or 60 of them already. Mm. So it was great. With the reveal we showed, games on the line. And whether people wanted a Yellow Brick Road at that moment or not, they were actually thrilled to see games on the line. As we're sitting here eating this delicious crepe, um, that the line like a really weird, really weird combination of words: delicious crepe. <laughs> crepe to zit, crepe, crepe. So um, sorry about that. You know, our main line's being changed over to do um, Willy Wonka. All right. Parts are coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that next means you, week, means next you week. stopped making Wizard of Oz's, or are they on a different line? Wizard of Oz is on a small line. Right, okay, so stop so making pirates. Yeah, we're getting yeah. about uh, eight or nine, ten Wizard of Oz games off the line every day. So that's going well. You limited that, you said you're going to make like 200 this 200 year. 200 games, yeah. So that's not going to take very long to get those done. It's right, ten a day. exactly right. Mm. Um, in fact, most of them are sold. Um, I don't know the exact number, you know, but it was very, very well, um, very well bought. Uh, a lot of people didn't know what the game was until they really saw the game, how beautiful it is. And Christoph has some here at the show, so that's really great. Um, so what's your, so, what's your, what's, what's delaying your production at the moment? Uh, the, I don't know, I, I don't like the D word, you know, that's not a good word. Um, we're well, you're, you're ready we're to actually, go, I'm sure. We're actually on time, I would say that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, things have to come in. We have to verify the parts coming in are good, uh, which so far everything's good. And then we have to put things on the line, train staff, build sub-assemblies, and populate the line, and pop games off the line, bring them into final test, and rinse and repeat. Just keep doing that. So okay. I, I would say um, early summer, to me, if it's a little sooner, great. We're a hero. Um, I don't see it being any later. Um, we're looking good right now. You know, grab me at the next show and ask me the same question. I'll let you know because mm-hmm. uh, we're being honest about it. I mean, it's certainly not something where we have a game today and you know we're going to be looking at each other at Pinball Expo and somebody's going to be saying, you know, you didn't ship any Willy Wonka games yet. Those days are behind us. And um, now you're in well, a position to start, almost in a position to start production. And yeah, your right, delay is not right because you haven't actually specified when you were going to produce them, so you're not, not missing any deadlines. It's a self-imposed one. Right. But um, how long is the license? Uh, how long can you keep making these games without having to renew the license, I should say, really? Because I know you, you, at uh, Texas you said you've renewed mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz, you've renewed Pirates mm-hmm. as well, even though you won't actually have no plans to reproduce or produce any more pirates. Well, again, um, with these licenses, uh, they go for several years. From? 
the moment where you sign on the line or the moment you start producing them? No, it's typically the moment you sign on the line. Right. But I try to build in enough time where um, it includes development time and then selling time and then sell off time in the event you don't want to renew it. Mm -hmm. So far, everything we've built as a company, you know, now we're up to game number five, unbelievably, but um, we have the license right now to build all five of those games uh, for the foreseeable future. So um, could we go back and build Pirates in a year from now? We could, you know, but I probably wouldn't go back to Disney and say, let's make a Black Pearl edition because it's, it's too much to go back through all the approval process again. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to jump back into that pool. We have a, a lot of other things we're working on right now. Mm -hmm. If it was the only thing we were ever going to do, and I thought it would have a value to do it, um, maybe, but not everything works that way. Never but, say never. But, but never say never, but in that one, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably not going to happen because I'm but not going to go back. you still understand that yeah, I mean, Pirates is a great game. Um, people wanted more. You know, we were we were talking uh, just five minutes ago in London in January when I when I said to you guys, you know, all the games are sold out, and, and it was true. They were all sold out then. I mean, we were still building some, and maybe some of our distributors have them, but um, you know, we we were sold out. Um, it's just uh, it's just a question of trying to gauge what you're building in the future with what you're building now and demand and how many you want to build but so far we don't have a problem with building anything that nobody wants to buy right hold on oh is that you i'm not sure but oh. it could be you oh. yeah. it's not you jack it's not your phone ringing is it oh uh, um my phone is ringing um it's gary oh no gary stern call it is time for he must know who we're talking to Maybe he has his, uh, his ears buzzing, but no, it's not Gary Stern. Um, it's Gary Flower. Hello, Gary Flower. <laughs> oh, well, you're very familiar with Gary. Gary actually. Flower. Gary, I stopped at Gary's house. Right. Yeah. Well, right. Gary, Gary had me as a house guest years ago. Gary is actually currently at the uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, where the game debuted last night as well. Yeah. And uh, he's, uh, he's, he's supposed to be reporting for phoning us. in his report to us. So. Yeah. Really? Uh, if you don't mind, let's switch to Gary Flower. Gary. Hi, Gary. Can you come in? Hello. Gary? Hello, are you is there? there anybody there? Hello? Hello, Gary. Jonathan, can you hear me? Gary! Jonathan, speak. I'm Gary! Here. Gary Flower! Can you hear it's me? Gary Flower calling you, Gary. Can you hear me? Sorry, I can't hear you. Oh, oh, you it appears we have like a. Can you speak out? Gary? A weird connection. I can hear yeah. some noise, but I don't Hello. hear any voice. Oh. But he, yeah, he can't hear us, I don't think. Okay, well, we'll come back to that right. a little okay. bit later if we can. So, sorry about that interruption. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well, uh, so, well, perhaps you can tell us, Jack, about uh, how the launch went over in uh, the Midwest Gaming Classic last night. Perhaps you've got some information from your team there and uh, about the unveiling of, of uh, Willy Wonka, because... Uh, so uh, what I time was it? A bit different what time was it was here when they were doing the? Uh, it was about uh, two o'clock in the morning. Two o'clock at two a.m. Yeah. Yes. Right. So I was up. I was watching it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Um, I wasn't there. Do you wish you okay. were? No, I don't say that. Um, Just from the. You know, I could only be in one place at a time. I knew. Um, 
what was going on, obviously. I had made a choice to be here some time ago. I had no anxiety about changing that. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy... You know, I'm happy the team did everything they did at the show. Well, they didn't need me there. The game was there, and that's, that's what matters. Um, so it was a lot of fun for them, and I think today... Um, here at All Lunch, it was, it was great for all the people so far that saw it. Right. Um, so, just a minute ago, we, you talked about um, uh, the licensing process, renewing licensing and so on. Um, as we know, uh, the licensing approval process can be a real pain mm -hmm. if you're building a pinball machine. Um, obviously, you established a relationship with Warner Brothers. Um, I like how you say that. Warner Brothers. <laughs> I like that. Okay. So, um, uh, my question is, were there any big hurdles to take um, in regards to getting approval for certain ideas or concepts for this game? Um, yeah, I would say no. It was very cooperative. They were very understanding. There's a great team there because... We have history with them of the games we make. And at their offices, they have, you know, they have a hobby game. They have Wizard of Oz. They know what we do, and they get it. So a lot of the approvals, a lot of submissions, I mean, there's hundreds of submissions we make for different things, and sometimes they come back to us and they say, you can use this a certain way, you can't use this this way, you can use it that way. I don't think I'm really telling anything that, that many people don't know. I mean... With Willy Wonka, it's a little different in a way because it's not just the um, not just the submission of things to Warner Brothers per se. You have two different estates that you're dealing with: the Dollar Estate, the Ronald Dollar Estate that you know wrote the book, and you have uh, Gene Wilder's estate. And these estates, they have different um, approval um, approval rights for different things, likenesses, images, uses. And a, and a whole litany of other things. So um, you could have Warner Brothers approve something, you could have the Dollar State approve something, you could have Gene Wilder's State say no. I'm not saying it happened that way, but so when you have multiple choice and variations of different things and you have to submit and resubmit and change things and do that, it's more work, it takes more time. Uh, sometimes... Uh, and not necessarily with Willy Wonka, but sometimes you can use something from a style guide that may be disapproved because the people that created the style guide, there's no continuity with those people anymore in legal or approval or something changed in the atmosphere or in, um, in uh, the psyche of how the theme is uh, looked at now. And somebody could say something to you. We didn't have much of that with Willy Wonka. It was great. And uh, it was a dream theme for me. It was um, a movie I saw as a kid in the movie theater in 1971. Uh, my kids have watched it a million times. I just watched it again the other day. It was on TV as I was flipping around. I watched it again. It's like one of those movies that just makes you feel good. It makes me feel good anyway. Well, I'm sure you, that you're hoping that... Um Seeing the success of The Wizard of Oz, which you apparently keep on making, that Willy Wonka is going to be your next Wizard of Oz. I think it could be because it's, uh, it's what they say in our industry. It's an evergreen title. You know, it's, it's a game that really uh, transcends uh, gender. 
um, age groups. If it's fun, which it is, I know it's fun. You guys played it. Um, that means a lot. Uh, you could have games that are. There's probably a very, a very delicate balance of ingredients that need to go into a pinball machine to make them be a success. Um, it's a combination of how the game plays, certainly, but it's also satisfying shots. It's understandable rules, rewards. You want to really feel good when you achieve something on a pinball machine. Uh, you want to have the sensory overload that our games give you, uh, the sound, the speech calls, the lighting effects, um, all those things. They really have to come together in a delicate balance to to make a really great game, and that's what we strive for. Right, and um, how much do you think your games uh, need to be sort of family friendly? And maybe does that lead to them being you know, sort of less combative in terms of the way that the the game is presented to the player? You know, it's not you're battling straight away; it's you're trying to achieve something in cooperation. Right. I, I think you know. I, I think those kind of games are good. Um, yeah, you know, I love all kinds of pinball machines, right? even even ones that we don't build or we never built. You know, from many years ago. Uh, I certainly love ours more. Um, the place where we are is uh, a family-friendly kind of thing, but it doesn't mean that we wouldn't make something in the future. Not that's less family-friendly, but that may have a little bit more of an edge to it or a little bit more of an adult option to it at some point or other. Um, but they would still be something where games today, if they go in a home and they sit in your living room and you have uh, company over, you may not want the graphics to certain games be something that you show your neighbors or the people that you uh, work with, that kind of thing. Because you um, wouldn't put any sort of blood or gore into, into your I don't games. See, I, don't, I don't see it. No. I don't see it. You know, I, I don't, I don't see it. Um, years ago, I've said it on other podcasts and things like that, uh, pinballsales.com, we kind of shied away from selling certain games that that didn't appeal to a whole family. It wasn't, wasn't that important to sell a certain title where um, I, couldn't be, I couldn't believe in the title or um, it offended a certain group of people. We just, we just didn't sell them. Well, speaking of offending a lot of people, how about those on Palumpas? Aren't they cool? <laughs> but aren't they offended? I don't know. I haven't seen one lately. Have you? I mean, we do have a guy in uh, America with an orange face. they have a union of their own? We have a guy in America with an orange face, but he's a little bit taller than one of those Oompa Yeah, he outgrew the Oompa Loompa status, I guess. Right. right. I think he, he got out of that same stage, but I think they're pretty cool. You know, Willy Wonka, it, to some people, it was a scary kind of movie because the kids disappeared a little bit sometimes. You didn't know, you hoped for the best that uh, um, what happened to them when uh, Violet had to go get all the juice s squeezed out of her. You know, you wondered, wondered kind of like what happened when you were a kid or, uh, you know, whether or not Willy Wonka had the incinerator running that day. It was an odd and even day and, you know, it worked out at Mike TV. I don't know if they ever stretched him and made him big enough again and he was back to normal it was it kind of gave you a pause especially as a kid if you should really be bad I think maybe that's what they were trying to go for like you know maybe if I'm bad I'm gonna get into some kind of trouble that I'm not gonna be able to get out of I don't know 
So where do you go from here then? You launch the game in Europe, launch the game in the US. Um, are you doing any more launches or is it uh, full steam ahead of getting the game to production? It's full steam ahead, but we do have games that will go out on location. We have games that will go to shows, you know, you know, the show schedule. Yeah. My life lives by what's on your website. Mm -hmm. all the shows yeah. and I have to go book all my travel plans by what's going on, you know, on Pinball News. Um, so yeah, there'll be a lot of travel. I'll be over a hundred and something thousand miles this year happily. Um, a lot of distributor open houses, a lot of uh, location launch parties. Maybe I can't make all of them, but you know the games will be there. And uh, a lot of fun. I could see a really fun summer of a lot of uh, Willy Wonka games. I could hear the tune in my head um, as I'm laying on a pillow uh, for my oh, three hours sleep every night. I gotta admit that that that. The music in that game and the music from that movie—that's gonna—that's an earworm that you're—you'll be stuck with that for the rest of the summer. Yeah, I don't think I'm stuck with it. You know, when you like something. Um, Let's talk in uh, August. See if you still like it. That's the sound of money. That's what that sound is. You know, when I had amusement centers, people would come in and they would say, "Oh my gosh, what's all that noise?" I said, "That's." That's the sound of money, because if it doesn't sound like that, there's no money going into any of the games or any of the machines. So, right. uh, so you love um, to hear that sound. Right. Now, um, in terms of Steam integration, I think this game really knocks it out of the park. Um, anybody familiar with the Wonka movie can really see that the, the design team really put out all stops to integrate as, as much as they could in the game in a very... Um, elegant way, I would yeah. say. Easily but, understood. So. Yes. So, um, now when it comes to, obviously you're a manufacturer, you need to sell these games. So when it comes to marketing, are you taking, um, I'm not sure what I can call it, pages out of the movie, in, in, in the, uh, so to speak, but I mean, you could do something like that would be five golden tickets inserted in, in games somewhere that give people a privilege or something or yeah wouldn't that be cool that would be cool yeah. is there anything you can say about that if that's going to be the case I could would you <laughs> maybe <laughs> let me give you a little more champagne here Jack I think your glass is running a bit dry and see if that uh, loosens your tongue at all Probably to the rim. Well, you know those things. Uh, when you license a great, a great property like this, it's really wonderful to follow the script and have those opportunities. The golden tickets certainly were great. Uh, five of them, you know, they actually had six. They had one fake one, fake news. They had fake golden tickets. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that? Already in 1971. Yeah, they had a faker. You know. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how we market that. I know, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I know uh, based on all the texts and emails and phone calls that I received just from a few hours ago when the, when the game was officially released, you know, I, I would venture to say that there were hundreds of games sold in less than, you know, certainly less than 24 hours, just in the last few hours. Distributors... There's some distributors ordering, you know, triple-digit worth of games. Right. So uh, it's a great problem to have, and we're thrilled. We're very humbled by it. We appreciate that. The marketing of something like this 
the fun side of it with doing something with golden tickets is really great. Um, you know, sometimes I get called by magazines, like Pinball Magazine wants me to advertise, and I say, you know, I really, I don't know, do I really need to advertise? Our games kind of sell themselves, you know. It's, it's a wonderful problem to have, but we love it. Mm. Doesn't mean I wouldn't advertise in your magazine. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, <laughs> no, no. you asked me a question. <laughs> yeah. Now so, you had a popular issue, right? What was it? Issue number two was popular. Yes. And you asked me a question. Should what, I rerun that? Should you charge advertisers again if you reprint the magazine? Right. So what did you decide? Um. I decided not to charge current advertisers unless they want to update their ad. That's a great, that, that was great. Yeah. Because... When do we come up with that idea? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we've you, had these discussions. So you're well. not the only one that can answer, ask questions, you know? <laughs> right. So, um, but... Yeah. Well, that's good. That's great for the advertisers. They got, like, double their money. They got the, the popular magazine again. And they didn't have to pay for a, for an ad to run again. That's great. Right. So, and uh, even if they want to update their ad, then they're not going to be charged uh, full hundred percent because great. it's going to be a smaller run. So, Pinball Magazine is a great great magazine. Yeah, I heard about it. I heard it won an award as well. Yeah, it's worthy. Yeah. So I can see you win several with uh, um, Willy Wonka as well. That would be great. Right. So, okay. so, but talking about the various aspects of the game, do you want to? Want to tell us who? I mean, obviously, Pat Lawler designed it, but uh, who else was involved in the, in the team there? Or who? It's a big team, but who were the key team leaders in various aspects from their programming, the sound, the art, the uh, the, the well, video? You know, on uh, the leader of the pack, you know certainly who that was. Hmm. I mean, it's Pat. Um, it was really important to have John Yowsey do the artwork on the game. Um, I, I do have a question about that, though. But continue first. Yep. Go ahead. What was your question? Well, um, obviously, uh, there's the images of the various characters in uh, the movies. Are these uh, uh, style guide photos that John incorporated in his artwork, or did he redraw the faces completely again? No, he redrew things. Yeah, he didn't just take it and cut and paste it. Um, the The... The good thing and the bad thing with the license is, you know, I said this for Wizard of Oz. What would the Wicked Witch of the West look like? It's just got to look like the Wicked Witch of the West. You don't have poetic license to go 20% different than what she looks in the asset. So if you want poetic license, you better do an original theme. Can you move off the line by a, a few percentage points and have a you know, have your impression of that character, how that character looks. You could, um, if you want to possibly take chances where you get comments and rejections, and I'm not saying that's the case of what happened, but this is why when you license those assets, you pay all the money. And I kind of started this whole thing with hand-drawn artwork with Wizard of Oz, because everything for a very long time from different companies was just photoshopped in and cut and paste kind of things and it's it's really a fine line to do and right. uh, we have the right people to do it so you get the right result um, you get something that looks fresh 
and something that stays true to what the license uh, wants you wants you to do when you when you make it. Right. Okay. Now I did understand because I listened to um, um, the Special Man Lit podcast, who was discussing with the uh, uh, design team about the game that um, there were only uh, licenses in place for two people who played Oompa Loompas. Right. Does that mean that the other Oompa Loompas in the game were sort of made up? Or that you take people from Jersey Jack Pinball and put them in the game? No, as we can't do that. Otherwise we could put your face in there. Well, yeah. or your own. as an Oompa Loompa. We actually put my face as the mayor mm-hmm. and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, because they didn't have the rights to all the munchkins. So uh, our artist at the time was in a battle with Warner Brothers, which we shouldn't have been in, but he wanted to prove a point, and uh, they went back and forth, and they said, well, we didn't have the faces, and then he put a bunch of our faces in, and they said, well, you can't use those faces, and he said, well, why not? So they found some faces somehow for us to use. I don't know where they came from, they have an extra face department or someplace uh, where it came from, but it Maybe was something people to working in that department that just wanted to be on the game. I don't know, you know. But again, you can't use things you don't have the rights for. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Uh, there are scenes in movies like this where you have a, a central character in the foreground, and you have 30 people in the background, and they don't have the rights to the 30 people in the background, so you can't blur them. You can't put something over that. You can't block them. You can't omit them. You can't use the scene. You can't use the scene because the scene needs to be used the way it was used in the movie. So there's a lot of me inventing a pinball machine with a big HD LCD was a great thing, I think, my personal opinion. Uh, but, of course, these things bring other elements in. They bring some challenges always, and they bring a lot of benefit. That outweighs the challenges. But... Um, fortunately, we have a very creative team and uh, the cooperation from our licensor, and we make things happen. We, st- we, still, we, st- we still get to the finish line of what that particular item might have been. So, you mentioned um, Joe Cads as the lead software programmer. I thought that would be Chad. Keith Johnson or Chad Estes. They're working on other games. We have a deeper bullpen today, bullpen. The champagne's starting to work. Okay. <laughs> More champagne for More champagne. champagne. So we have a deeper bullpen today than we had uh, years ago. So Joe is a great player. Joe's a great programmer. He's a great rulesmith. Um, he's another guy that needs to come to the forefront and take the lead on a game. And it's really nice to see him do that. I like Joe a lot, and uh, um, I think I think he and the rest of the team did a great job doesn't mean that Ted and Keith, JT, and a couple of the other guys didn't have a hand somewhere here and there. I don't know to what extent, mm. because luckily I'm not over their shoulder when they're pounding on the keyboard at uh, 2 in the morning when they're writing all this stuff. Right. Okay. So, um, animation still Jean-Paul Duin? You, you know, we're thrilled that, it's, that it continues to be JP. JP is just a, a charm to work with. Uh, a lot of my mornings would start with a phone call to JP uh, because he's a little bit ahead of me. I have to call him up. I have to ask him some things that are going on with submissions and approvals and things like that. And um, 
I think we really enjoy each other's conversations and each other's uh, input and ideas on a lot of different things. I think he's just an amazing talent. He's a blessing to have in the company. He's great. He's a great guy. Right. So, um, any specific mechanical engineer involved that you can name? Yeah, I mean, you know, if I met, well, you know, if I start mentioning one guy, I got to go through the whole list. I mean, they're they're all really uh, they're all really carrying a lot of weight of uh, of what needs to be done uh, because before we can order a part, we need to make sure that part's engineered. They get. Uh, they get tested, they get first samples, they get production run parts, um, and that all starts with engineering and the idea of what we're going to make uh, through the team and how you're going to make something that actually is going to uh, work and perform and be easily serviceable. So uh, we have a lot of really good people. And mechanically, this is a, a standard body game, um, as was Pat's previous game. Is, is that? The direction that you think the company is is heading towards, or, or looking to make all the games standard body, or is still looking to have a mix of uh, wider body as and when the, the the design and the title calls for it. That'll that'll be left up to the design team. You know, uh, so, so there's no there's no bar on them. Uh, no, there's no mandate coming from anywhere that say from on high that everything is wide body, mm -hmm. everything is standard. I don't think you'll see us building. An Atari-sized wide body, or a Paragon-sized wide body, mm -hmm. or something wacky. We probably won't build a Hercules-sized game either. But I don't think you'll see a safe cracker either. Um, so we'll probably s it, it drives all people uh, crazy in a way with uh, different boxes, different packing um, materials. When you know, we just think about it. Wizard of Oz that we did in the beginning is not the yellow brick road that we're building now. Mm, because yeah. the whole body changed, because the head of the game changed, the boards are in the head now, things have been brought up to date. So uh, there have been a lot of changes over the years, and most factories try to get to a stage where uh, they standardize more things than change more things. We're still in a place where I bet maybe there's 80% of our games are different from each other, where other companies that do what we do, 90% or 80%, the bigger percentage of their game are the same rather than different. And there's a good reason to do that when you're a factory because you can use a lot of the same things. But maybe there's not such a good reason to do that because you have players asking in a polite way or demanding that things be much different than they played last time. So when you see all five of our games together, like Christoph has them out there, it's wonderful to look at because I don't see one that's better than another. I just see all of them that are different from each other, and they all really complement each other. Even subtle things like user interface. You mentioned JP. You know, every user interface on those screens is different from each other. You know, so we keep it fresh. Right. Um, speaking of uh, keeping things fresh, um, I'm getting back to the marketing bit a bit in the sense that uh, with previous games you did uh, t-shirts uh, for those games. There were t-shirts for Pirates, there were t-shirts for Dialed In, I think even for uh, The Wizard of Oz, I think. There were Juicy Jack t-shirts as well. Um, you're here sitting next to Wiz wearing a Wonka Bar t-shirt, which I'm not sure whether that is something that you created or whether it exists because it's just a, 
uh, a Warner Brothers uh, property that might someone might have done. Um, now we did see at the show, which I thought was very clever, little tiny Wonka bars, mm -hmm. pieces of chocolate that usually go with a cup of coffee or something like that, which was a very nice, uh, nice gesture. So, in terms of those assets. Um, can you discuss if there are any plans in terms of t-shirts or other materials to to promote the game or tie in with the game? You know, to me it's so interesting that people are very interested in different licensing aspects that pinball companies get into. Um, licenses, typically, and I'm not an expert, expert but I know enough to be dangerous um, and to license. <laughs> things and <laughs> deal with these people. Um, when you get a license, you get a category. So, if our license covered a commercial pinball machine, it doesn't cover a T-shirt. Right. So, I know other companies go take stuff and make T-shirts. I don't know that they get a license because, with certain companies. Um, There's a minimum guarantee that you need to promise for the license category. And then there's a percentage of sales or some other X per item or whatever. So, obviously dialed in is our intellectual property. We can make all the dialed in stuff we want. Unfortunately, there were no Wizard of Oz t-shirts. There were a lot of Jersey Jack t-shirts because our logo or whatever we come up with. You know, people love, people love to wear our stuff. And we recognize that. Um, we could probably put a little bit more effort into that. You know, I put effort into it in the beginning. When we weren't building games, we were building T-shirts. <laughs> well, you're building the company at that point. So yeah. you wanted to get your brand out there. Yeah, I mean... As um, much as Wizards of Oz, you wanted to get Jesse Jack. Yeah, and, and we, make, we do make a lot. Um, we sell a tiny amount of them. Most of the time, it's giveaways for charitable use or show use or... You know, pinball clubs, or tournaments, things like that. We give, we give a lot of that away. And really, it's not an expense to give away in quotes because it's promotional value. People are wearing your name on their body, so that's pretty cool. Um, we we met up with somebody that had some rights to a different title that we were we were closing in on negotiating with to license something. And you know, my mind was. Gee, we could make wearables for this other item because we have a relationship with somebody that has a license. So that would be pretty cool. The shirt I'm wearing, I went on Amazon and bought it. It's a Warner Brothers. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that was a knockoff that I would be wearing. <laughs> the tagline is under there if you look in the microscope for Warner Brothers yeah. S19 in 2019. I don't want to be wearing some blue bag thing or whatever. But you can't produce uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory pinball T-shirts. Well, unless without I, a license, we couldn't. But we could buy them from somebody yeah. who has a license. Yeah. And you know, in, in general terms, I'll say this about licensing anything, right? Anything you do needs to get the the licensor's blessing. So, if you had all assets that were approved. Let's say you had images and likenesses of, of anything that was approved, and you made a brochure, and now you write this brochure up. 
that brochure typically to any licensor needs to get submitted to their marketing department to be blessed. Mm -hmm. So you may say, well, all the components that are on this brochure have been approved, so I can bless it myself and just say it's good. No. Um, you know, typically with any licensor, you can't take an image. If, if Martin was a licensed property tomorrow, we couldn't take his picture and then put wording all over his body, right? right. Because now we're covering up that image and likeness. So things like that, um, you can't do, but, but we know that stuff. We're professionals, yeah. we know that stuff. I'm sure you do, but um, another case comes to mind. Um, I won't mention any brands or uh, game names, but in this case, you're wearing this um, uh, officially licensed Wonka Bar T-shirt. Yeah. But there's nothing stopping you from contacting the manufacturer saying, him like, hey, I want to order, like, say, 500 shirts, but I want you to print my Jersey Jack logo on the back as well. Because the shirt is already licensed, and you're basically asking him for to do something extra. Yeah, I don't know what his license says. And again, uh, we're, in, we're on a limb of a tree that's the supposition section of the tree. You know, it, if he creates a shirt and his license says that whatever's on that shirt is what it is, and now he had something that violates that license, I have no clue. You know, I mean, does anybody care? Is it in the scheme of things, does it, does it harm anybody? Does it, you know, I mean, no, well, the reason I bring it up is because uh, we've seen um, T-shirts in the past. Right. Well, you're a troublemaker, so that's why you bring it. No, no, uh, but, but I think it's a, a valid question. <laughs> well, we had a um, a licensed superhero, uh -huh. and then uh, basically it turned out to be an existing T-shirt where uh, uh, on the back uh -huh. an extra print was added. Uh -huh. Well, to avoid licensing, look, at, you know, at least that's the way I look at it. So, so again, in very general terms, um, when you sign a license agreement, some of the things in there that you promise to do is not take that property and, um, without using a lot of legal language, not take that property and, and kind of convert it or subvert it or misuse it. Or you also sign part of that agreement that says you're going to protect that you're going to protect that license. Right. You know, I remember when I when I signed uh, the Hobbit license. Um, if I gave away secrets about the third movie, I could be sued for what they think the loss of their movie uh, box office sales would be. Imagine that. So that's that's enough to compel you to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, plus lawyers' fees as well. well yeah, well, that, that would have been the least of my problem at that point. I would have been buried. I would have been buried at hello, you know, uh, dear Mr. Jack. Uh, you know, you know, like so. So look, um, I I would love it if um, we could control a lot of things which we can't control. But you know, if we don't do it and we do what we're supposed to do, I can't control what other people do. Um, in a technical sense, we provide the assets that are approved for our licenses to our distributors and they promise to us that they're going to use those assets in the best way possible and they're not going to use them in a way that um, uh, makes the property look uh, bad or compromises the use of the property too. I mean, it you know, it, it gets into, we've had, listen, years ago, I, uh, <laughs> I, I had people have our games that weren't authorized to sell them. 
and they were told they weren't authorized to sell them. Maybe they bought one game many years ago with Wizard of Oz to mess up the marketplace. And somebody bought a Wizard of Oz game from somebody and put it on eBay back in like, 2013. Um, I got in touch with eBay and I said, listen, this is my intellectual property. It's licensed by us. And this person selling it and they're trying to say they're an authorized distributor and they're not. I want you to pull the auction down. They pulled the auction down. There have been times when I went to copy shops like Kinko's or Staples to make up brochures for a license that I have. And the person in the store said to me with Hobbit, um, we can't make this for you because this violates copyright law because we can't copy this stuff because you don't have a license for it. Well, hang on a minute. I'll be right back. I went to the car. I got the license and gave it to them. You know, they're protecting. They're doing the rules of their business. You know, today's a different world with copyright infringement and enforcement and intellectual property rights. And, you know, we know this is a battle, part of the whole tariff thing going on in the world in different countries. You know, it's a whole gigantic other conversation. I'm certainly not an expert about it. But within reason, our job is to protect the property that we licensed. Um, before we close this, uh, or round this off, um, you did bring your wife, Joanne. I did. I yes. Did. So I was wondering, um, with, uh, well, not only she keeping up with you, for which you should be very grateful, I think, um, but she also giving birth to uh, both your children, <laughs> who are both working at uh, Jersey Jack and your Italian heritage. Basically, I tend to think like Joanne is sort of running the company, like it used to be in good Italian well, tradition. Well, uh, back in the day, I guess that would be true, but Joanne is not involved in the business really, other than in support of all of us and uh, trials and tribulations and successes uh, going on. And she told me that you asked her. Uh, She wanted to interview her, so she ran away. Well, I figured it made sense. Yeah, she probably wouldn't. I, 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 you know, she might sing you a couple of songs, but she probably wouldn't be interviewed. That would be a, a first anyway. Yeah, yeah. No other people podcast has ever had Jack Guarnieri's wife singing on a podcast. That would be great. She's great, and and you know she doesn't come to many shows. Uh, she likes pinball, but. She's not going to be piled in the show as, as we are, you know, all day long and all night long, sometimes and everything. So I was happy she came. I kind of had to twist her arm a little to get her to come, but it uh, worked out okay. And you had a nice time in Paris before you... We had a great time. Yeah. yeah, we had a great time. We saw a bunch of uh, customers and uh, got, to, got to see some sights. And uh, weather wasn't as warm as it was last year when I was here. I think mm. last year we were here a week or two later. It must have made a difference because last time I was walking in Paris last year, it was like 84 degrees, and this yeah. time. Uh, and we were sitting outside doing we were, this yeah, uh, interview. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, it's still nice being with you guys for, for sure, but um, I guess 10 days or two weeks make a difference in the springtime, mm, right. especially in France. Right. Okay. So. Well, thank you very much indeed for taking time thank out uh, from this busy show and your busy schedule to come and talk to us. Champ- there ain't more champagne. Absolutely. A little bit here. I shall we'll top up your glass. As, uh, Just like, as you know, those radio shows where they used to drink and the guy would pour whatever in there and they'd make believe uh, they were drinking. Yeah. Uh, Dean Martin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's it. Oh, it's all gone. Okay. There so you thank you very much anyway, Jack. And uh, we thank you, guys. thank you for taking part in our special, uh, special podcast. podcast. Yes. yes. Excellent. So. Yeah.
So, thank you to Jack Guarnieri. Sorry for being a little bit long-winded at the end about licensing and all that stuff. That's really boring for some of you, but... Um, uh, that is where pinball is, is going a lot these days in, uh, in licensing. So, it's, uh, it's uh, probably one of the most torturous processes uh, in, the whole, in the whole development of uh, pinball is getting everything agreed with the licensor and making sure you don't infringe on anything. Right. So, anyway, so we're still at the uh, Flip Expo show in France, which might actually be the very last edition of this show, as there are a rumor goes around that uh, there will not be a uh, follow-up show next year. We hope the rumors mm. uh, will turn out to be not true, but... Um, so while we're still here, we're enjoying the show. Um, there will be a show report on the Flip Expo show on both pinballnews.com as well as on uh, pinball-magazine.com. And, um, well, we hope you enjoyed this uh, bonus interview podcast with Jack Warnieri. And don't forget to check out both our sites for details of the, the launch of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and uh, all the game features, the prices and the differences between the models and uh, everything you want to know about Willy Wonka. Right. So, uh, that's it for now. Um, in two weeks we'll be back with our regular monthly uh, summary of Pinball News, which is also going to be very interesting. So, uh, please stay tuned and uh, uh, check out our upcoming podcast as well. Yes, we, we'll, uh, we'll, hear, we'll talk to you again then. Okay, thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.